The gospel lesson for Christmas Eve comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. That's on page 724 of the Pew Bible. And please stand again as you are able for the reading of the gospel. From Luke 2, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace. Mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Into this world of darkness and sin and death, a light has dawned. A child is born, a Savior. Has come. You know that this world is filled with darkness. Sometimes we try to ignore it. We try to mask the darkness. We try to forget the darkness and the suffering. But we can't. There's always something that reminds us of the darkness and sin and death. And sometimes it's unexpected things. One of the things at Christmas that actually reminds us of the darkness is the familiarity of it all. We have traditions here. 
You might even have traditions in your own homes. And these traditions, they serve to keep the right things constant. I'd be interested to know how many times some of you have come here to this same building at this same time every year on December 24th. And you've sat in the same pew, you've sung the same hymns. I know because I tried to change them one year and it didn't go very well. (laughs) You've heard the exact same scripture readings every year. You've basically heard the same sermon every year. Even as preachers have changed, the sermon has pretty much stayed the same. There's a comfort and a familiarity to all this, but there's also pain because not everything is the same as it was last year or the year before. Things have changed in our lives and not always for the better. Most especially there are people who were here last year or the year before who are not here this year. And it's not because they went to visit the other side of the family. Now, there are also people here this year who were not here last year, and we rejoice in this. These new people are a treasure to us, but they don't replace the people who aren't here anymore. They are still gone, and the familiarity of what we're doing reminds us of this, of that tragedy. As one of my favorite Advent hymns puts it, we mourn or joys departed. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope, for into this darkness a light has dawned, a child has been born, a savior has come. We recall the first proclamation of Christmas. It was the first Christmas sermon preached by an angel to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Every year there seems to be something in the Christmas narrative that is new to me. Maybe it's some detail that I hadn't noticed before, or maybe it's something I had noticed, but it strikes me in a new and a fresh way. And those of you who spend time in the, spend time in the scriptures, you know what that's like. Whenever you start to think that you know it all, you find something new. Or maybe it's more like the new thing finds you, because you weren't looking for it, but there it is. And this year, with the Christmas story, the thing that strikes me is this. How odd it is for angels, for anyone really, to proclaim the birth of a child to complete strangers. And not merely to state that a child is born, but that he is born to you. Typically, a child is born to its mother and father, right? This year, my wife and I had the great joy of having a child born to us. It has also been a great joy to show him off to people. We like sharing him, but he's not yours. You can't have him. I remember a couple days after he was born, announcing here that a child had been born to us. Now, imagine how strange it would have been if instead of saying that we had a child... I had said a child is born to you. That would be strange. Or what if I ran down to the store, snuck into that secret room, you know, where they keep that microphone, and announced to everyone in the store, a child is born to you. That would be strange. Social services would probably keep an eye on me. That would be free-range parenting to the extreme. Our son is not yours. He is ours. 
we have the joy and responsibility of owning him. So I find it remarkably strange that the angel would proclaim ownership of this child to random shepherds in a field. And the proclamation, you'll notice, was not just for the shepherds, but for the entire world. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is how you know that the Christ child was born for you. Do you fit into the category of all people? If you do, and I know that you do, then this child is born unto you. The angel, of course, knew these words would be remembered, written down, read at every Christmas Eve service, and even proclaimed by Linus when Charlie Brown forgot what Christmas was all about. The words, unto you, are intended for the entire world. With most children, these words are intended for mom and dad. But with Jesus, these words are intended for the entire world. And maybe you found it strange in the hymn we just sang, that line, Come, peasant king, to own him. I always found that line to be kind of curious. In this relationship between God and man, we probably think of God as being in the owner's seat. After all, he is both the creator and the redeemer of humanity. So he has a double right to us. But the angel proclaims that this child is born unto you. So the hymn, though it sounds strange and kind of wrong, is profoundly correct that we are invited to come and own Jesus. He belongs to you. For this purpose he was born to be owned by you. So this thing of being redeemed by Jesus Christ, it's one of those human relationships, kind of like marriage, I suppose, where the ownership runs both directions. He owns us and we own him. This is what we learn from the angel's sermon. And I wonder what Mary would have thought of this if she had been out in the field to hear what the angels said. Angel, did you just tell those shepherds that my kid belongs to them? Yes, and not just to them, but to the entire world. So we think of Mary in all this. We think of the blessing she had of caring, bearing, and nurturing this child. And she considered it a profound blessing that God would look upon her humble estate and grant her this blessing of mothering this child. Of all the women in the world, she had this unique blessing. But she also had a profound pain because this child did not belong to her the same way a normal child belongs to its mother. She had to share this child with the world. And this sharing of her child would take the most painful form. Mary learned about this quite early. If she didn't already know it from the Old Testament prophecies about the suffering of the Christ, she heard about it when Jesus was yet an infant. When he was 40 days old, they took him to the temple, and there was a man there by the name of Simeon. And when Simeon saw Jesus, he prophesied over him, and he said to Mary, A sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
And Simeon was speaking of that fatal Friday afternoon when Mary would have to share her son with the world by standing at a distance and watching him die, the worst kind of death the people of that age could dream of. Nothing can pierce the soul of a parent like having to watch her child die. And this was no ordinary death. This was a public and humiliating death. It was the most shameful kind of death known to man, to be condemned as a criminal, stripped, beaten, and hung on a cross. It was, by design of the Romans, painful and humiliating. And Mary had to watch it. This this was the way that God appointed for her to share her child with the world. This is how shepherds, kings, you and I come to own him. He becomes ours by redeeming us. And in this redemption, we become his. And he becomes ours. This was the purpose for which he was sent into the world. It was always, even from before the foundation of the world, it was always God's intention for this to happen. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unanimously agreed upon this redemption plan. So as we consider the birth of this child, we remember also his death and his resurrection. Because that is the whole point of the birth. And we see this even in the way that Luke writes his gospel. The way Luke structures uh, this book and ties it together is really quite remarkable. Sometimes you hear me talk about these golden nuggets in Scripture, golden details. They're, They're these little details that if we read them too quickly, we might miss them. But when we slow down, we start to see them, and we find them to be extremely valuable. My favorite golden nugget in the Christmas story, and maybe even in the entire Bible, is one I learned a few years ago while reading a big technical theology book. Big technical theology books can actually be quite useful because I could have read over this part a hundred times and missed it every time. It's this link that Luke puts into his book that ties the beginning and the end together. And by doing this, it reveals the purpose of it all. Now, he speaks of what two different people, what what they did to care for Jesus when he was at his weakest. At his birth, Luke says this concerning Mary. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. She cared for Jesus because at this stage in his life, he really couldn't take care of himself. And then near the end of the book, Luke speaks of another individual who really does the same thing for Jesus when Jesus descends back into a completely helpless state. There's a Joseph in this story too, but this one's not from Nazareth. He's from the town of Arimathea. And this Joseph had his part to play in caring for the king of heaven and earth. This Joseph went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And notice here the parallelism to what Mary did for Jesus. Luke writes it in a a parallel way. And he, that is Joseph, Joseph took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth 
and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Luke writes his gospel this way so that when we get to the end, we remember the first time Jesus was carried by someone else, wrapped in cloths and laid to rest in a new and different place, so that we remember this was God's plan all along, so that we remember Jesus was born for a reason. He was born to die. He was born to save his people from their sins. So that we remember, just as the manger held him for a time, so the grave now must also hold him for a time, but only for a time, because there's still one more place where the cloths are mentioned. So when the disciples heard what seemed to them to be an idle tale, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The Christmas story doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially the whole part about owning him, unless we remember why God became man. The Christ child was born to die and to rise again. This is what it means when Isaiah prophesies, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. This is what it means when the angel proclaims to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This child was born to you. To own him means to own everything he has done for you. If you own his birth, you own his death. And if you own his death, you also own his life. And then this to you is light and life and salvation. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.